Bienvenidos al podcast de Latino Founder Hour. Each week we invite you to spend an in-depth hour with us as we speak with a Latino startup founder from somewhere around the world. Aquí conocerás esas historias de éxito y fracasos, retos personales y lecciones aprendidas. And we have fun. We're live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Tune in at startupradionetwork.com. O en versión podcast después del show. Escucha. Listen. Aprende. Learn. Y emprende. Launch. Muy buenos días a todos. Feliz viernes 2 de noviembre de 2018. Es Día de Muertos en muchos lugares de Latinoamérica. Se celebra este gran eh, espectáculo. Y antes que nada les doy la bienvenida a Edgar Navas. Hoy mi co-host mi co Claudia Cárdenas no pudo venir, pero les tenemos una, muy, una entrevista sensacional otra vez en Latino Founder Hour. Eh, el día de hoy tenemos en el teléfono desde Nueva York Andrés García Amaya. Andrés, ¿cómo estás? Buenos días. Buenos días, muchas gracias por tenerme. Oye, muy bien. Oye, eh, eh, y mucha gente no sabe, pero ya tuvimos a tu hermano aquí, o, o bueno, a uno de tus hermanos, eh, y es por, por ahí donde queremos empezar, ¿no? Antes de decir quién es Andrés, eh, vienes de una familia de emprendedores y de gente muy exitosa y muy inspiracional, ¿no? Entonces, ¿quién es, eh, qué, qué, quién es Andrés? ¿De dónde eres tú originalmente? Soy de, de Colombia, a, a las afueras de, de Bogotá, en un, en un pueblo que se llama Cajicá, que queda como a unos 40 minutos al norte de, de, de Bogotá. Ah, ok. ¿Y, y, y emigraron a corta edad este, con, con tus padres a, a Estados Unidos? Sí, sí, sí. Entonces la historia ahí es... So, entonces tengo dos hermanos, uno mayor y uno, y uno menor, a Ricardo y Alejandro. Eh, crecimos en una finca... Uh, y a los 12 años, de, o sea, yo tenía 12, mi hermano mayor tenía 15, tuvimos como un cambio gigante eh, eh, que nos cambió la vida. El, el, uh, mi, mi papá trabajaba como un... Eh, he was a professor in college. Okay. And his, his life turned uh, from a career standpoint and uh, he got appointed from the... Basically, the area that he specialized in law allowed him actually to be in a position where he was appointed deputy ambassador to to the United Nations uh, from Colombia. Oh, wow. So we went through this like big change. Uh, and uh, so we moved to New York because of that. But as you could imagine, that was a big cultural change from living in a farm uh, half an hour north of Bogota <laughs> wow. to, uh, to, to move New to New York. York. Insane. Incredible. And you were just a teenager. I was, yep, I was 12 years old. Oh, my gosh. That, that, that's, and did, how was that change? I mean, did you speak English back in Colombia, or how was that translation, uh, just personally? How, how yeah, was, I mean, uh, it was, um, so I, let's put it this way. Uh, I was not conversational English. I mean, most people in Colombia that, uh, you know, like, pick up things here and there, like, basically, I learned English by watching, like, the Superman series, right? Okay. Like, <laughs> Uh, so that that's kind of the, the, the basic uh, level that I came in. But you got to remember that in Colombia also, um, this was in the 90s, total yeah. different country than it is now. So Great. for us, uh, making the move from, from Colombia to the, uh, New York in the, in the mid-90s was just like a uh, lifeline. Right? Absolutely, uh, yeah. It was such a so it was almost like the the cultural shock or the inability to 
to speak English was secondary to, oh, my God, we're going to be in, in a situation that's going to be much better. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh, something. So that, that's, how, that's how I looked at it. it. When I tell people now that, I, you know, you move at 12 from a different country and you speak the language, you're like, oh, poor you. You didn't know that. I'm like, we were so excited. Like, <laughs> we were just kind of like blown away that we were going to be in a position to be in a safe place and to go to you, school and not have to worry about Exactly. About, about yeah, yeah, but back in the, in the 90s, Colombia was going through this um, uh, whole transformation should i say uh, well you know the, 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 yeah the, transfer, the transformation happened more in the 2000s the 90s was right. just the was 90s just was like a, the best way to explain it it's like the it's like the 70s in new york city but like times 10 you know like yeah. the sense of crime and and things just not being in a good place uh and obviously the last 15 to 20 years has been it's been transformational but uh but back then it was definitely not what it is today okay yeah no no i agree and, and so so you grew up In New York, you went to school there, um, much better place, uh, and you and your brothers ended up, you know, going to the, you know the most prestigious universities in in, in, in the in the land. Um, how, how did that happen? I mean, what was the motivational force behind that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's it's it's, uh, it's an interesting kind of journey because uh, I actually was not I was not a very driven student when I was in in high school. I was almost basically just surviving right? like I didn't you know I didn't speak the language very well and that doesn't boost your confidence when it's up I went to a really good high school you know and so it doesn't boost your confidence when you're basically trying to understand what they're saying and then you know they're already shooting for Harvard right so, yeah so in my high school years it was more about like just survival basically like just making sure no one noticed that I didn't know what the hell was going on um, but I was able to, you know, to survive and get to a, to a good school. I went to uh, Villanova University for, for undergrad. And, and in college is really where, where kind of the light switch went on for me when it came to, to excelling in, in school. It was almost like a fresh start. You know, um, no one had seen me, you know, coming in seventh grade without, you know, without English. And they already saw me as somebody that, you know, that, that could speak English. So I had almost like a, just a fresh start and, I took that up. I took that as an opportunity to to start, you know, actually trying really hard in school, and um, and then also it was a, part of it. It was for me was that um, especially after sophomore year, uh, I kind of saw a clear path of which direction I wanted to go after school. Okay. And uh, and, and that really helped to push me harder. It was. It, it's funny because I I remember I remember like up to you know the week where it kind of hit me like okay. If I want to do that, I have to do well in school. And it's, it's, it's almost like, oh, of course. But I think for a lot of high school students and college students, especially if you didn't, if, if you didn't grow up here or your parents didn't go through the kind of the college process here, it wasn't something that was natural to, to think of. I was like, oh, this is great. School's great. And then I went, actually, I remember exactly what it was. I, uh, one of my friends from school came with me to New York City. And before we jumped on, um, you know, uh, Villanova is right in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Before we jumped on the Chinatown bus to get back to Philly, he said, hey, actually, my friend works uh, um, in Wall Street, and he wanted me to stop by and pick something up to bring it back to Philly. Uh, do you mind if we stop by? He's like, sure, no problem. And I went with him, and we went inside a trading floor uh, in, in Wall Street, and I, I was just blown away. I was like, oh, my God, like, what is this? People are going nuts. They're screaming at the phone. Like the amount of kind of activity that was happening, and the energy, and I'm, that's when it kind of hit me that I was like, I want to do this. I don't even know what this is, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to be a part of that. This. Yeah, and and then I kind of worked my way backwards, and it's like, oh well, to get to work at a Morgan Stanley 
24, you need good grades. I was like, oh, shoot, okay. And then from then that moment on, I, I kind of, you know, I was, I was kind of shooting for that. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, to answer your, your original question of, of, of a university, I eventually went to, uh, uh, to get my MBA at Warden. And that was more of a, once I went to, to Wall Street, I kind of developed this very strong work ethic that regardless of what, um, regardless of what the goal was, which I think is really important to develop. Like it's not, I didn't need just like a specific goal that I was shooting for. You just, I developed this strong work ethic for anything that I did. Cause that was the only way to survive basically yeah. when you're, when you're in wall street. And, and then when I, so, so when I applied to, uh, to business school, I kind of had developed this, this process of how to attack things. And, and I think that's, you know, for young people, that's really important to develop is not necessarily that you, you're really good at something is that you develop a process uh, and a discipline to try to accomplish something. And then that's very transferable to pretty much anything. To anything, yeah. Um, and yeah, and then, and then obviously from once I went to, uh, um, uh, to Warden, I even enhanced those kind of processes. And uh, I think what business school was really good for it's not even retention of all the information because probably 60% of that's gone after a couple of years is more uh, how to think in frameworks and develop kind of ways of, of analyzing things that, uh, that sticks in, in, in outer years. Uh, that I think was kind of the most valuable thing of going to a, you know, to a top school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you actually, now that I think about it, I'm the founder of a, of a startup myself. And one of my original investors, angel investors, is also a Villanova graduate. And I believe he's about your same age. So you might, you know, there might have been some cross paths now that I think about that. Yeah. So that's interesting. It just popped into my head. But yeah. Uh, uh, it, and it's interesting because he also took the same career. He ended up in Wall Street. Now he's in, in Portland, but um, you know, for a while he was in New York, uh, you know, trading, mm -hmm. and, and then he decided it wasn't for him. Ended up doing something yep. else. But it, it, it's funny, you know. Sometimes I, you know, cross, you know, cross into people that have the same paths, and probably yeah, right around yeah. the same time, you probably were in the same hallways at some point. Um, oh, that's funny. It is, it, yeah, it, it is cool. But um, now, so you went to Wall Street, uh, and that's where you started your career in, in, in stocks and, and J.P. Morgan. Is that right? So J.P. Morgan was after business school. Prior to business school was okay. uh, Morgan Stanley. Oh, Morgan Stanley. Okay. And then J.P. Morgan is the one that pretty much launched your um, your career, uh, well, or, or put it into in, into a different level because uh, yeah. to our listeners, yeah. I mean. No, no, I think that's, I think that's definitely fair. Like, I, I, the way I would put it is when I worked at Morgan Stanley, it was, it was basically like just getting in just getting educated on how the pace of Wall Street operates. And, you know, I was a junior guy, uh, started as a trade assistant and then moved up to become a, uh, an institutional trader. But uh, I went to business school because I realized that I didn't want to be in, in the trading world, uh, very transactional. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to be more in a more analytical role. So that's why I went to business school. And then coming out of business school, I went to work at, uh, at J.P. Morgan as a global market strategist. And what that role basically is, is to you do research on the economy and the markets and you kind of take a deep dive. And then you come back for air and you, you basically present uh, the insights that you found to to your clients and our clients were institutional clients, you know, um, pensions, endowments, uh, hedge foundations, funds, or... uh, as well. Yeah, ex exactly. And then, uh, well, not so much hedge funds, more more like the money that goes into hedge funds, so like pensions, oh, okay. uh, yeah. endowments, foundations, as well as um, financial advisors. Uh, so those were also our clients. 
And uh, in that role, you know, coming out of uh, business school, he was one of those that, you know, uh, uh, there was a lot of luck involved in the sense that I, I went into a team where the uh, – the program that they they had created, there was only three of uh, three of them in the team when I joined, and this program, which was called the Market Insights Program, and the, they created this little book called the Guide to the Markets, um, ended up you know in, in the next five to seven years ended up becoming the source of information when it comes to the economy and the markets, pretty much globally. Okay, um, wow. Like for instance, when we when I joined the team, we used to print something like. Uh, 5,000 um, copies a quarter. By the time I left, they were printing over a million. Holy <laughs> like, smokes. Uh, on a quarter. Wow. And, um, and it was, you know, now the Guide to the Markets is something that's global, right? They have it in um, Latin American Guide to the Markets. They have a European yeah. one, an Asian one. And so from a career perspective, it was pretty unbelievable because the role demanded some um, presentation skills. And since I was, in essence, as a, as a trader, you're presenting ideas every day, all day, it, it kind of fit my, my background. Uh, but it also allowed me to be a lot more analytical. So it was just kind of like the sweet spot of like great um, product market fit of what we were building uh, and kind of in my, in my skill set. And that allowed me within like two years and a half, I went from being associate uh, to an executive director. Uh, and, and only in two essence, years. Uh, in two and a, two years and a half. Two, two and a half. Wow. Uh, but it's still, you know. Yeah. So that 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 was definitely to your, you know, the way that you framed that. I think is right. It was one of those pivotal moments in my career where uh, I was, you know, for instance, I, I was now going on TV uh, almost every week uh, on CNBC on, on Bloomberg uh, to speak about the markets, and so I went to being from like the right hand person to actually being the one that was that was the face of the face of, of the product. Of the, huh? uh, of the, yeah, exactly, exactly, and uh, so that that definitely kind of uh, turbocharged my my career, and it gave me a lot of visibility within within JP Morgan. Uh, so from that role, I did that about three years, and by the third year, uh, there was definitely some burnout. I was doing like 250 meetings a year. I was in three, you know, I was in three planes a week, <laughs> wow. traveling all yeah. over the country. Just and, uh, so schedule, that was fun huh? the first two years, and yeah. then by the third year, I was like, I need to find something that's you know, <laughs> that's more sustainable. So I, um, I, I basically within J.P. Morgan because of the role had given me a lot of visibility. I was looking for a role where I was actually, uh, in essence, part of the investment uh, process instead of just doing the research. I wanted to be part of the investment process, so I found a team in the uh, emerging markets uh, equity uh, division where I was going to be embedded into a quant team, basically like, uh, you know, I was the only non-PhD non in applied mathematics, basically. Okay. Uh, and, and that's what I wanted to go. I wanted to go like deep into into the quant space uh, even further that, than, than I was in before. And that role is really where it made me kind of realize uh, a lot of things of, it's almost like I was seeing the future of the industry because they were, they were kind of doing cutting edge things. Um, and I'll stop there for a second. That, that's basically where I made the decision when I was in that team. Like, I need to get ahead of this. I need to go and start a company on my own because I kind of saw a little bit, you know, for very few times in your career, you kind of get a glimpse of where the, where, you know, how the future might look like. Yeah. And, uh, and I got a glimpse in that role where I was like, okay, I better act now, basically, and, and, and go do something on my own. Before somebody else does it. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, and, and and you know, uh, just um, before before I get into so financial and you know how you started the company, how uh, just a quick question because you know you, you talk about this yeah, really sure. stellar role. Uh, I mean, you know, you're in, in CNBC. I mean, I mean it, you, you know, you're in Twitter everywhere. But being um, let's be honest, as a Latino, how was that? Um, you know, interaction mm, with the yeah. because because you know quite frankly, it's a, I mean, I, I watch CNBC, I have the TV, and, and you don't see that many uh, Latinos, you know, you know, being interviewed, being yeah. actually ask opinion or as an expert yeah. in the subject matter. You know, it, that's a no. I'm, I'm glad that you ask about that side because, as you well know, this is this is a topic that if you're not among Latinos, you just don't want to bring it up. You know, it's not it's not something that it doesn't help you for this mm -hmm. to, to to bring it up. But but between you know between Latinos, it, I think it is important for for you know for, for for us to discuss it. So for instance, I'll give you an example. When I was in when I was on the trading floor, uh, there was definitely a sense of um, you know I was the only Latino in the whole trading floor. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, right. Everybody else was was pretty much you know Anglo-Saxon, yeah. Irish, or Italian American. Uh, you know, third or fourth generations. I, I was the only one. And that it was, I mean, I think just because uh, at that point I had been, I'd grown up in, in Scarsdale, New York, going to high school, I was used to not being, all, you know, the same as everybody else. But it was definitely this, uh, you could sense it, right? For instance, I'll give you an example. People would ask me, oh, so, uh, oh, so you're in the trade, that's great. So do you cover Latin America? And I'm like, why? What do you mean? You know? And yeah. they're like, oh, well, I just thought because your name's Andres Garcia, you would cover Latin America. And I'm like, Oh, I cover U.S. What you know? What I mean, I'm American. What do you mean? Yeah, like, yeah, why? Yeah. Why? Why would I have to cover exactly. <laughs> Latin America, right? So, so it was those like subtle things where you you pick on. Um, but it, things definitely changed after I went to to Warren and uh, and I joined a J.P. Morgan. I think I was just put in a in a position where uh, I excel so much of what I was doing that it, it no longer was even a topic of conversation right like it, i i made that cross <laughs> yeah, yeah. where 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 they weren't asking that question and it's also later in my career so i think i already had kind of some proven record but earlier in your career is very tough i i mean I, it, looking back i actually noticed more things thinking back like oh, that was kind of a messed up comment you know like, yeah. uh, I, i'll give you an example like i remember you know uh, one of the more senior guys when i was applying to warden Uh, and I was asking for recommendations from senior guys because I was doing really well. You know, I was like the number two guy in the desk, and I was like 24, 25 years old. So I asked for a recommendation, and one of them, it came out. He didn't even mean to say this, but it came out, and he said, you really think highly of yourself, don't you? You think you're going to go to Warden? And he was one oh. of those like, whoa, wow. what, you know, why wouldn't I? You know, like, yeah. why, why wouldn't I uh, think of that? So I, I say this for, you know, the young people that are listening You know, don't don't. There's always going to be those people, and and they're just dealing with their own insecurities or their own yeah. biases, uh, and you just have to kind of ignore it. But uh, I was just talking to my brothers about this that I, I I forgot about that comment for many years, so I kind of put it behind, you know. And it came back, and I'm like, that it was a really screwed up comment. I'm like that could have <laughs> yeah. ruined my confidence, you know, to to basically say maybe I shouldn't apply, right? Like maybe I'm not worth it to uh, to uh, to apply. So, anyways, as my career progressed, then you build more confidence. You Uh, you almost like just tune it out, but also your if your experience, your experience almost starts speaking for itself, right? And then eventually, I never even notice it. And the cool aspect as you as I progress in my career is that uh, the opposite side of that spectrum of that comment that I said when I when I was younger 
is that uh, one of the one of the guys who ran the um, training program for like young people at J.P. Morgan, um, ha- you know, I became you know buddies with him, and uh, and he like out of nowhere said like, hey, by the way, um, uh, there's a Colombian guy that is applying to the program, and I automa- I don't I, I automatically like basically moved on to the second round. I'm like, why? He's like. Well, aren't all Colombians like you? Like, man, like you guys work your ass off, right? Like, you're, re- <laughs> yeah. and I was like, that's awesome, right? Like, it, I had changed his perception of like what he thought a, a Latino course, would yeah. he, Like, he's like, well, if they're like, you know, if they're like you, then yeah, I moved them to the next round. You guys are such hardworking and smart, and and I'm like, that's awesome, you know. Yeah. So it's I think a badge of honor. over time, yeah, exactly. Over time, you know, it, 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 there'll be less of those earlier comments that I mentioned, and more of. The second one, but uh, but for those that are listening, I wanted to share that comment. Is that you know you kind of have to let go of those comments, you know, not 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 hold them as they're not talking about you. They're 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 reflecting whatever is going on with them, or they're kind of very small uh, vision of of how the world works based on their own experiences, right? So you Correct. Have to kind of just said it. Very right. insular. Yeah, and I like that comment. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good perspective. No, that's uh, hey. And now moving on, like you say, you realize you're in a position and you're starting to see the future, you know, and you have that vision, that moment, so, you know, I want to I want to make a change. I want to go solo. Uh, what was a pivotal moment in your life where you say, you know what, I'm in a comfortable position, I'm making good money, I'm, you know, I'm stable and I want to go yeah. into the unknown. What was that process like? Yeah, no, it was, um, it wasn't like, um, I definitely thought about it for about a year before I, before I, um, before I made the move, but it ultimately came down to, I guess, two things. One is I was reaching, I was reaching a, a stage within a big organization where, um, I saw how this sausage was made and I had a lot of ideas of how to really like move the needle and like what happens sometimes in big organizations. They're like, that's a great idea. Um, let's talk about it, you know, like next year and I'll bring it to my boss and his boss will bring it to his boss and then his boss will bring it to, you know, yeah, the CEO. And, and so, which is fine. I mean, that's how big organizations work. And for a while it was fine, but I was getting to a certain stage where I'm like, I, I see what's happening in the industry. I, I, I actually, in a sense, saw similar kind of trends changing when I was in trading and I'm like, the technology is changing this whole industry. And the message was basically like, just, just keep your head down. You're doing great. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> like don't worry about it. And yeah, just, you know, like just, you know, I, I got comments such as like, you have it easy. Like you're doing great. Just, just keep your head down. And I'm like, oh, I don't, so after a little bit, it started bugging me. And, um, you know, I would bring it up to my wife, like, Oh man, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I could do bigger things. And eventually she's the one who was like, all right, then do something about it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> You know, uh, then, then go do something about it. And, <clears throat> and my family was already fairly entrepreneurial. So I talked, you know, my, both my brothers have always been, uh, uh, you know, founders and my mom was a, a very entrepreneurial. So when I bounced the idea, I was nervous even to bring it up because I could, I could sense that they were going to be like thrilled about it. So I brought it up and they were like, Oh my God, yes, you should definitely do it. And so, I, so I got a lot of encouraging for words from, from family. And as you know, that's like so important uh, absolutely. Uh, when yeah. you're making that, that leap. And, um, so yeah, so after call it a, a year of trying to plan it and kind of running in my head, the movie forward, um, I, I kind of reached this conclusion of 
there is actually more risk of me staying here and doing this than than me leaving. Okay. Um, and, the, and and the way that I thought about it was, uh, and I saw this one with with traders, for instance, is if I stay here, I'm only going to make more money, um, and which is great. Uh, but the technology is changing the industry, and uh, the margins of the business are, are coming down. And the, the longer I stay doing this and making more money doing this, the harder it is to find another job uh, if, in essence, the industry changes, right? Yeah. And so actually that could be more risky because my, my uh, it's called lifetime, uh, uh, lifestyle creep. Right? I start spending more money because I make more money. You know, we end up, you know, I don't know, you buy a second home, you blah, blah, blah. You start flying business. And the next thing you know, um, you, you can't actually, you can't make a change. <laughs> yeah. Because now your lifestyle is, is kind of surrounded around that particular role, which is one of the few jobs that pay that kind of money. So I kind of play that movie forward and I said, that's riskier. <laughs> that's, that's much riskier than me making a change now when we haven't gotten accustomed to living, you know, a, 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 a that type of yeah. lifestyle. No, that's a great and insight. We have saved, yeah. yeah. And we had saved, I mean, this, this is one thing that I would say, like, you know, it's important then to, the best way to kind of ride your own ticket, if you will, is to save, right? So I was saving every bonus that came in, I didn't touch. My wife, every bonus she came in, she never touched it. So that also gave us a buffer to, to basically make, make a big decision of, okay, you're going to stop working. And you're going to take a, you know, you're going to basically go and start this knowing how hard this is going to be because, uh, you know, I had, I had found a, a family that has started business. It's not easy, as you know, right, especially the first year. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I kind of made that decision of this actually might not be as risky as, as you know, the, uh, the definition of risk basically changed, which is that's risky, staying there and, and then eventually not being able to do anything about it versus this is what I'm realizing now, especially as I've learned so much with, with our, we're a company is that my skill set is so much broader now than, than when I was at JP Morgan, right? Like I'm actually, you know, looking, looking forward, like I, there's so many different things that I could do versus before I was just very good at one thing, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, no, so, you, you, now, so now you're an expert at different things. Yeah, and, and and you know what it is, as you well know, when when you start your own company, it's it's understanding how to cut through things. That it's very hard to learn that skill set when you're a large corporation where there's such specialized roles for everything. Yeah. Uh, but as a as a founder, uh, you have to figure out how to move that huge you know rock up the hill, and uh, and you you know there's no there's no specialization in your team. It's like, oh, it's me. <laughs> right? Exactly, like, yeah. It's me, and then eventually it's like me and these three people, and then eventually, you know, and then seven people, and then ten. But at the beginning, you just have to learn how to cut through it, and that's a skill set that uh, now I realize it, it, it is one of the most scarce resources, right? Like, to be able to be that agile and, and, and kind of put your marketing hat on, your sales uh, hat on, how to yep. create incentives programs for a commission, how to think about the customer journey, how to interact with engineers, how to hire engineers, how, you know, like all of that um, at, at JP Morgan, I was, I was not going to be able to, uh, to, to learn. Absolutely. So, so when does uh, Zoe, is Zoe Financial the first startup that you found or did you found something else before? So I've, I, the, the funny thing is that I, I had I had done my own businesses, but definitely more of like you know like side hustles, you know. Yeah. Uh, when I was in in high school, 
I, uh, I started my own DJ company. It's called, it was called Outrage Us Entertainment. It was me and my buddy. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we started DJing basically for us and our friends. And then next thing you know, we were doing birthday parties and then we were doing Sweet Sixteens. And by the time I graduated, we were starting to get uh, gigs for weddings. And uh, so I've always had, like, uh, you know, side gigs where I was doing things. And But... Um, but I, when I left when I left uh, undergrad, I was very kind of focused on Wall Street and you know kind of like the rat race of like moving up. So I stopped some of that kind of side hustles, and then I think part of it the reason that I was ready for for Zoe is that I had the itch again to to have those side hustles. But I was like, no, actually, at this age, I should just make it my you know my main job. Your main hustle, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I've I've had you know in essence like. I always had this side that I like to create things out of nothing, but uh, but I never. And this was my first company where I was, in essence, full time uh, focused on it. Awesome, yeah, yeah. And, and you guys have already raised two million dollars. I mean, recently. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we read. So, so how was that process? I mean, you left your job. You said, you know, you. By the way, you know, shout out to the wives, which in my situation was exactly the oh same. Oh my god, yes. We're like, I, there's no way I could have done it or keep doing it. Oh you no. Know, no, without the support of my family, they say, yeah, yeah, let's do it. I got your back, and whatever, we will adjust, and we'll. But but let's do yeah. it. It was exactly the same. I mean, I, I echo what you're saying, and you know, shout out first to the wives because. Oh know, my god, this yeah, is like entirely it's funny because. <laughs> It's funny because when people tell me like, oh, you know, you're a solo founder, like that must be so difficult uh, versus having a co-founder, which is which is true. It's much harder. But I'm like, well, I have a co-founder that's not like I mean, I've known her for 15 years, my wife, you know, yeah. like uh, in essence, like, you know, uh, when you when you have tough days, like she's there, like she she, she knows me for, for years. So I agree with you. Like, I don't I don't think I would have been able to do it without without her encouraging me. So for sure, shout out to my wife. Absolutely, yes. So uh, what, what, so you left your job and started this idea, or do you already work on it uh, from, from, from your desk? How, how was that? <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, how was that process? I mean, how, how, how did you start at Zoe Financial from, the, from scratch? Yeah, yeah so, uh, so I had, I, I guess I had an idea of, of the direction that I wanted to go with the company, which was, in essence, I saw this big shift in the industry where um, people used to hire for decades a financial advisor, uh, and the financial advisor was essentially a broker uh, or a salesperson that gave you access to financial products, right? So I wanted to buy IBM stock. It's not like I could go to my E-Trade account and, you know, in, in my pajamas on my phone and, and buy yeah. stock. In the old days, you had to call somebody to buy that, right? So that was what a financial advisor was. And, and the, the industry has kind of shifted where all of those kind of middleman type jobs have gone away to technology so that role had to, had to evolve. And it was very clear to me that some advisors were evolving into becoming more of like, um, I call it like a household CFO role, where they are there to actually look at your whole financial life, provide advice, and a much more, um, a much, much better understanding of your tax situation, your state planning, your, your budgeting, and then thinking about the investments. And that's because I knew it, you know, our clients were financial advisors. So I saw, and I was like, there's something here. And the reason I knew there was something there is that I would often get asked by friends, hey, since you're working at JP Morgan, you know anybody good? Anybody like you know, uh, you know, let's say especially people that are in their in their fifties and they're going to retire in a couple of years. They're like, I need somebody to help me with this stuff, but I don't know who to trust because most of them are sales guys. And uh, so I knew that there was demand there. So that's I left J.P. Morgan with a very rudimentary idea of 
I need to figure out a way to connect consumers with the best advisors that are actually not in essence brokers or salespeople, but that actually could provide advice Correct. and that have the right incentives. So that's how I left with this idea, essentially. And I was very fortunate that when I was, so by the way, when I quit, I was like petrified of quitting, uh, you know, especially because there was no indication. I wasn't, it's not one of those scenarios where it's like I was going to a competitor or whatever. I was like, how are they going to take this? They're going to think I'm crazy, basically. Um, and to my surprise, my, my boss, when I quit, uh, so first it was really funny, actually, like side story. So, you know, so I quit. And, you know, and I said, like, I, I really appreciate everything you've done. I've learned so much because of, in essence, because of how much I learn here is because it gives me this confidence to start my own business, blah, blah, And, um, and then of course he was like, or he closed the door. He's like, he called his boss and they're trying to convince me to stay. And, uh, so, you know, we, we hang out with the phone and whatever. And then, uh, and then he hangs out the phone and he's like, um, by the way, I just have to go through this process. He's like, I wish I had the guts that you do right now to do oh, what you're doing. Yeah. It, yeah, it was so I was like <laughs> blown away because he, he he's like a lifetime J.P. Morgan employee, uh, but uh, he was kind of like, just this is going to suck for the next two two days. We're going to try to convince you all this stuff, but like you're you're doing the right thing. You're you're, you're basically I wish I did what you did oh, wow. when you're when you're my age. And not only that, as soon as I left the next day, he's like, let's grab coffee. And he's like, I brought my checkbook and, and he was my first investor. He didn't, wow. I didn't even have like, um, yeah, I didn't even didn't have, have a yet, like a deck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was a small, you know, it wasn't like a, a huge check, but it just gave me this confidence of like, okay, I got some people that believe that I'll be able to figure this out, you know? And, um, so from there I, I, I took that small check and, you know, hired my first engineer and off to the races we, we went and, uh, and for about a year, we basically worked on on uh, on finding these advisors that we thought worked, like in essence, that the high caliber advisors, and building the technology to connect them, and and then we raised money once we had basically, uh, you know, the, the you know the MVP, right? The yeah, the, the platform, yeah, of, yeah, of of the platform, and uh, I was very fortunate that um, you know working my background working in Wall Street and, and the network that I had developed, one they understood the problem. So I wasn't speaking to investors that didn't know this industry, right? Like there were people that were like, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and two, many of them I had either worked with or uh, in essence, uh, they had seen me or, or you know, interacted one way or another in, in, in past life, you know, past Wall Street life. So that I was very fortunate in essence that, that I was able to raise the money through people that I kind of knew and trusted that, uh, that had, you know, that had the pockets. Not everyone has, yeah. not everyone has the pockets. To start, uh, yeah, but, but the Street, yeah. Uh, they do. Yeah, no, no. Uh, l- l- let me just do, do a quick shout out to one of our uh, sponsors to make this happen. CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay for them. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpa.dudes.com slash startup radio. Uh, Andres, um, and so you started, you know, you, with the MVP, you prove that um, that your that your concept is working. You got a, cu- a couple of customers traction. What what was the next yep. step? Uh, you know, in, in, in the evolution of um, of Zoe Financial. Yeah, it's um, so with any marketplace. The interesting thing is that uh, as a founder, you're 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 almost uh, in in panic mode on one side or the other. Meaning, uh, at first, you need the consumer to be interested in finding an advisor, right? Without yeah. the consumer, 
there is no marketplace in, in our side. There's always one side that's harder, right? So on us, the consumer is the one that that uh, that at first you have to kind of validate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, within within you know we launched February of this year uh, the, the the platform. By the summer, very quickly, the the pain point went from the consumer to oh my god, we're going to have to you know quadruple the amount of advisors that <laughs> that we oh, have. Wow. So you we went on that problem. side. Yeah. And then, uh, so it's, it's this constant measuring, in essence, to make sure that there's enough supply for the demand. And then if you add supply, you're, you're predicting, you're forecasting how much more the, the demand is going to increase. So, so that's the, the, and as a founder of a marketplace, that's always on your mind. Uh, so going back to, you know, to your question of from MVP to, 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 re, to the real pickup, uh, for us, really, um, you know, you I think it's very clear to me now that there is no overnight success. Like when you hear of, of start uh, of startups, like oh no one, oh my God, they raised twenty million dollars and they're so lucky, and uh, you know in two years they they build this amazing thing, and then when you dig deeper, they're like, well actually they they were basically working in obscurity for three years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and um, no one cared about them, and then the press got a hold of them in year four, basically, right? Like, uh, so so for us, it was really about. When we launched in in in, um, in February, it was basically crickets, right? Like we're like, oh, okay, like you know, we had like a a quick uh, burst at the beginning, and then it was like crickets, and it was just a continued iteration of the of uh, of the landing pages, uh, doing a lot of A/B testing, basically to track to see how we can improve the the digital journey for the uh, consumer, uh, talking to consumers to try to identify how do we explain the pain point better. And just like iteration, iteration, and very quickly, just like, we, you know, we would do two-week sprints. And uh, and next thing you know, things like, you know, May start to pick up, June, and then by like June, it was one of those like leaps where we're like, whoa, like 4X what we were doing in May. And then July, and then every month after that, it's just been like this this huge pickup. Uh, but, it, but it wasn't because of just magically we had the right, like, you know, uh, page or whatever. Wind, it was yeah. This, yeah, it was this constant iteration, you know, long hours. Um, I call it basically like just going to the lab and experimenting without expecting the next experiment to be the one that wins. You don't know which one's going to be the yeah. one that wins. So you just have to build a process and have the patience that if you build the process and you get enough at bats, basically, right, that's where fundraising comes into play, uh, then, then hopefully you have one of those at bats that ends up being the home run. And then that's the one that everyone knows about. Right. And, Correct. Yeah. and everyone says, Oh my God, they're so lucky or there's, you know, whatever. And you're like, yeah, there was definitely luck involved, but you have to have a process to, to get, you know, to, to find that luck. Exactly. Yeah. No, it just doesn't ma magically appear and your or fall into your lap. No, I, exactly. I, I get it. Exactly. And, and so you started the company by yourself or do you, and then how, how large is your team now? So we got so we got seven full time and then uh, a couple of freelancers that that help us, uh, but seven full time. Yeah, and, and that's that's remarkable for you know for a short amount of time you know to grow from one person to seven and a couple of freelancers and and now with you know with capital. Yeah, and then exactly and now we're hiring we're hiring a couple more people. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that, that's another thing as a founder is figuring out how quickly to press on the on on, on the gas on when the it gas. comes to yeah. On the, uh, you know, not only in marketing spend, but, you know, hiring. Uh, so you always have to think kind of like three months in advance, uh, which is hard when you're creating a, a, a product or a service that 
that didn't exist before. <laughs> I know. <laughs> to try to yeah. predict how the next. <laughs> no, I know, no. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a blast. That's great. And and what's so so right now? Your you know your first iteration is out there. It's uh, it's gaining, gaining some traction. Um, yeah. What's what's your next step for for the for Zoe? Yeah, I mean the next stage, you know, heading into into next year is to really now try to uh, to scale this. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is. We, we have a, a better understanding of who the customer is. We have a better understanding of how to do the, um, a, a, in a scalable way, do the due diligence on the advisor side, uh, which is which is essential. And uh, so we're in essence continuously building technology uh, to allow us to, uh, you know, to, with a small team, be able to turn this into something where you know a million consumers use us to find an advisor. Instead of uh, instead of uh, instead of thousands, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, so so that that's the, the goal for for next year. I mean, for instance, one of the one of the stats that still blows my mind and a couple of the, uh, team members that that've been here from you know from from uh, from the early days is uh, right now we're seeing about if you think about in essence of um, investable assets, right? Like people's money that they're yeah. looking for someone to manage uh, on a monthly uh, basis. Uh, we're seeing roughly uh, $300 million of investable assets trying to find an advisor through our platform okay. um, uh, per, per month, like new every month. And our goal, uh, and, and that's growing like 30% month over month. So our goal by January is to be um, uh, at a billion dollars of investable assets of new money looking for someone to help them. Uh, which just blows my mind. <laughs> like, it is inc- considering yeah. in February we were we were at zero, but that's that's the amazing thing of leveraging you know technology and leveraging kind of a digital storefront instead of having us us to build branches all over the exactly. all over the country and, and middlemen. Yeah, you know, in in one year you could get there. So uh, so yeah, that that's the goal is just kind of think big and and it's funny because I mean the beauty of having uh, brothers that are founders, you know, and, and my older brother Ricardo. Uh, who lives out in, in the West Coast in Silicon Valley, and I have a couple other other mentors that are uh, there are a couple of steps ahead of me when it comes to building their their startup. Is to um, you know when you get there or when you're getting there, like oh you know I'm like we're going to be at a billion in January, like oh my god. And then you talk to some founders that have scaled something larger. They're like, okay, well how do you get to a hundred billion? <laughs> yeah. Right? And you're like what what you yeah, know like what that's those numbers don't make any sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. So that that's part of it is to continuously trying to think bigger and and um, you know not not get too far ahead of your uh, of yourself but have that vision that this is going to be something much larger uh, and that uh, and that forces you to build um, uh, a steadier base for the company because you're not just focused on you know building something small but to build something big exactly yeah and, and scalable but but something that exactly. is, is not going to come crumbling down on its own so yeah yep, wow. exactly now. And, and you know, have you? What, what kind of troubles have you gone into? You know, go, um, you know, you know, as a startup founder, have you had any early failures that you were like, "Well, my God, you know, I almost you know screw this up, and <laughs> this almost came co- collapsing," or even before? I mean, oh yeah. Any, any failure that you said like this was a oh, great yeah, learning yeah. opportunity? No, I mean, uh, the, yeah. On the on the early days, especially when when um, so basically when I launched the, the prototype and we started having conversations with with investors, it. It's there's definitely dark days where, as I said, like the, the the volume was so low in February, right? And and you're trying to talk to people about how this thing is going to be a you know 
a hundred billion dollar assets under management firm. Uh, so there's dark days as a, as a founder where you're actually your biggest enemy is yourself, right? Like in your mind, you have to convince your kind of the, the side of your mind's like, who are you kidding, man? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. seriously, who are you trying to convince on this? There's, you know, like there's no leads right now. Like there's no, no one's, no one's coming to the site. Right. So you're, you're the big, you're the, as a founder, you're your biggest enemy. Um, and, you know, so like I tell that to my team sometimes, like th- those were the darkest days is when you launch and basically you promise, you know, you, you, you hire people, you're, you're promising this is going to be a big thing and then nothing happens. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so those, those are the ones where you have to really buckle down and, and say, this, we knew this was not going to happen from day one. We're going to stick to our process of iteration. We're going to stick to our process of understanding the consumer. And we're going to give this a chance because it doesn't happen, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, so those, those were, I think, the darkest days for, for, for me. And I remember one morning waking up. I, 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 this was like mid-February. And I remember waking up, and I had that feeling like, you know, like I was telling myself in my head, like, I mean, it was just so much easier. Just quit, man. Like this is, just quit. You know, like it was easier. You just go back. You know, and uh, and that's those are the moments where you have to kind of, you know, I was like, ignore that voice, get up, go to work, keep working on the process, and then little by little you get little wins, right? And you celebrate those. Oh my God, we had twenty leads. Oh, now it's a hundred leads, and that you just keep kind of celebrating those little wins, but I could go on and on about the dark days that I'm sure every founder uh, has on, on their on Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially when you're talking to investors, and they can sense it. This is something that I would say as well. Um, you know, investors that have invested in many different companies, they could sense it when you're trying to convince them or something where you're actually not fully convinced yet because you haven't seen any proof of it, right? Yeah. Uh, so those are the hardest ones. Once you actually have the data to prove it and and you're, you know, you talk to investors with this voice of, well, this is going to happen with you or without you, <laughs> right? Exactly. Then yeah. it becomes a lot easier to uh, to fundraise. No, 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 that's great, and 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 and, it, and it's a good exercise. And um, you know, I had another um, guest in the show, you know, several weeks ago, and she told us, you know, the I, I didn't know this term until recently until she mentioned the imposter syndrome. And it's exactly what yep. you're describing. They were like, oh, when you start self-doubting, like, oh my, what, what am I kidding? I can't do this. Like, uh, you know, yep. I'm not capable. And, and, and you start, you know, it starts going, and I can attest to that as a founder too. Some days I'm, you know, you get the highs and like, oh shit, I just closed this mega multi-million dollar deal with it. It would have been impossible. And then, oh my God, nothing's working. Uh, yeah. wh- who am I kidding? Why don't I just you know, go back and get a job and, you know, start making money and blah, 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 no? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, and I, and I think that the, the best, yeah, and the best, exactly. And, and I think the best thing is to learn with like almost coping mechanisms and, and, uh, learning to identify when you go down that, that road in your mind. Uh, cause I catch myself sometimes where you're like, oh, you know, something triggers it. I don't know. An advisor decided not to, you know, all this process to get them in and they didn't get in, you know, decided not to come in or something. And it's like, well, the reality is like, it was one one instance, but your mind starts kind of um, forecasting from there, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, but what if the next 50 do this? And, and you're, like, you have to identify those moments and say, okay, go to your happy place, right? What, whatever it is, go to exactly. the gym or, or meditate or play soccer, whatever it is, because if you go down that path, it's actually going to not help the team. Like, you know, like it's not going to help the team for you to, to think that way. So, uh, exactly. Yeah. It's, 
Yeah, and, and you know, sometimes even just going out of the office and going on a walk around the block. Somebody suggested to me, like, and it was like, yeah, it does work, always. You just go out, clear your mind, look at the trees or whatever, and but don't think about that. And then, you know, your mind yeah. becomes more more focused on, you know, on, okay, problem, and then how, how, how do I solve it, which is, you know, one of the greatest assets uh, um, a startup exercise can, can leave you to, even if it's yeah, exactly. even if it's a failure. You know, you, you learn how to problem solve. Like you were saying, acquiring new skills, but I think the most important is that problem solving. Like I have this, how am I going to overcome it? I'm not a marketer or I'm not a, uh, a trader. I'm not a X, Y, and Z, but I, but I have to. I, I have to go over that, you know, that, that little hump. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to celebrate the small wins and, um, and uh, in essence, build confidence of them because every time we solve the problem, uh, it makes the next problem easier to solve, even if it's actually a much harder problem because you have this confidence about it, which is like, we've done this before. Like, we solve problems that people told us you couldn't solve. And uh, in some cases, you won't be able to solve them. In some cases, you will. But it's going in with this mentality of, like, we've done this before, right? Like, exactly. You know, for instance, for, for us, is going from this process of figuring out how to get leads to then helping the, um, the, the kind of the, the matching of the consumer to the advisor. So it's more like inbound sales and, and customer success. And we're like, well, we haven't done that before. But we get into that stage with, a, with more confidence of, like, well, we solved the other problems, right? Exactly, like, we'll we'll yeah. figure this one, too. And uh, and then that that's the that's the feedback loop that is the opposite of what you were talking about. Instead of this negative feedback loop, you have this positive feedback loop of you see a problem almost as exciting. Of well, if this is a problem, it's not only a problem for us, yeah. <laughs> it's a problem for everybody else. Yeah. And uh, and if it's a if it's a really big problem and we are able to solve it, we're, you know we're gonna we're gonna be doing pretty pretty exactly. well. Exactly. Uh, you know, yeah. And, it's looking at the opportunity ahead of the you know uh, you know after the problem. You know, like you said, exactly. If if I solve X, then you know we're going to be in a way better position, and and you know in general. But it's um, yep. no, that's that's fantastic. So uh, we only have a f about five minutes left, Alejandro. So uh, I'm sure. sorry, Alejandro. Alejandro's your brother, Andres. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> sorry. So Andres. No, it's okay. You know, my, I'm I'm with my mom. She uh, she mixes our names every like if the three of us are there, she'll be like Alex, and I'm like which. Which one? Or like Andres and, and Ricardo will be like, me? <laughs> me. Like, which one? Yeah, where are you addressing? <laughs> so, sorry about that. <laughs> no, no problem. But uh, yeah, so, so you know, what's, what's going forward for you? I mean, obviously you want to see Zoe Financial succeed and, you know, maybe eventually exit. But as a person, you know, uh, growth, you know, personal growth, what, what do you want to see? How do you see in the next five, ten years? Yeah, I've, you know, I've learned to... Let's put it this way. I think when you're early in your, in your career, it's not, you know, there's different paths of taking it. You could be very focused like I was, or you could, in essence, uh, test different things without knowing exactly where you're going to find out. And I, in my career, I started with a very focused, this is my career path. I want to you know, become vice president, and I want to become executive director. And, and once I got there, I was like, okay, well, now there's not as clear path. Right, like what do you? Do, what else do you do? Right. So for me, going forward, uh, I, I am I, I feel more comfortable with not having this like ten-year plan in essence of like if in ten years I'm not in my second successful company or in ten years I'm not I'm more I'm more focused on I always want to be learning and I always want to be pushing kind of the boundaries of you know the the, the things that I could accomplish. Um, whatever is it that that takes me essentially 
so for the next, you know, for, for the next foreseeable future, my, my goal is to help as many people um, it, when it comes to their finances, empower them to make better decisions. And uh, if the case may be, then connect them with an advisor that's going to help them, you know, make, make those better decisions. That's it. Like if I, you know, if it ends up being a hundred thousand or a million or 10 million, like that, that's, that's my focus. And, you know, if that changes seven years from now, five years from now, like, so be it. But for now, that's, you know, that's, 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 a goal. Where, that's where my head's at. Yeah. That's great. Well, and, and you know, just, uh, you know, from us seeing you, it's just an inspiration, man. You know, being able to see someone like you say, oh my gosh, you know, look at this guy creating fantastic things, being on TV, on CNBC, being, you know, just the face of the, the, the Latino or and now as a Latino founder. I hope it, that moves the needle for others to say, look, look you know, I, I we can do it. You know, I, I, I have my idea, I have my vision, but I had these fears. But if he were, if Andres was uh, able to overcome those fears, why can't I? So that's that's one of the things that we're trying yeah, no, to, to I, get here. You know, no, just thank you, uh, thank you so much. Use you guys as inspiration. Is, yeah, no, and I would say is for people out there, you know, that are Latino and trying to, you need to find a network. You know, it's easy to say, oh, there's no Latinos mm -hmm. doing this or whatever. They exist, right? There's not many of us, but they, they they're out there. And uh, because there's not many uh, as many as uh, you know, if if you're you know fourth generation here or whatever, yeah. um, they're more receptive to to hear you and, and, and become a mentor. So and help, yeah. don't, don't, you know, don't, don't put it all on your shoulders, right? Like you need to create a network and you'll be surprised how many other founders are willing to help. Uh, I'm always surprised like how, how they're willing with their time to, you know, to sit down and help you because they were all the same, they were all in the same shoes. You know? the same, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's something, you know, outside of the podcast, that's what we're trying to accomplish here. Create a network when, when yep. we connect people. I mean, we, we have done that with other guests. It's like, hey, you should talk to this. We make the intro and great things happen. And, you know, we want to continue yep. doing this follow-up. Like, hey, if you're listening, you can contribute with something, get in line, contact us, and then we'll, you know, again, yep. we'll just move that needle. Well, oh, this itself, is great. This is what no, we're I, I think for. what you guys are doing is, is tremendous. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I was uh, able to to participate, and and uh, you know I hope this I hope this gets into uh, to be a much bigger uh, much bigger things and down the road. Awesome! Thank you so much, Andres. I appreciate your time. Yeah, I we know you're super busy, but I, we're really uh, and congratulations on all the successes in the past and the and in the present and in the future. We hope to um, really contact you again in maybe next year and see you know how so financial how you doing. Yeah, and for keep sure. tracking on, on progress. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time, and enjoy your Friday, man. All right, you too. Thanks for having me. Andres Garcia Maya, CEO of Soy Financial. Thank you and happy Friday, everyone. The Latino Founder Hour is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service with generous effective visibility for your business. Check them out at publicize.co. Tell them, tell them that Claudia and Edgar sent you. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionist. At Ruby, they mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they were right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Call, call Visit callruby.com slash startupradio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code startupruby. Tell them Claudia and Edgar send you. 
You've been listening to the Latino Founder Hour podcast with your hosts, Edgar Navas, founder of Clica, and Claudia Cardenas. El programa Latino Founder Hour es grabado en las instalaciones de NetSpace en el estudio Bigfoot Podcast en la hermosa ciudad de Portland. Our audio engineer, mixer, and podcast editor is Alain Beausoleil. Diseñador de logo, Carolyn Main. Our network logo was designed by Jessica Chan. Diseñador de sitio web, Cameron Grimes. Our production assistant is Chelsea Lancaster. Tema de música, Funning and Sunning, de Kevin McLeod. Cree en ti mismo, sueña en grande y confía en el universo, de Marta Leticia y Silvia Romero. <laughs>